You know, what are the stories that are that are rattling around in your head? And uh, are they helping you or are they hurting you from an energy standpoint? Welcome to Improv is No Joke podcast, where it's all about becoming a more effective communicator by embracing the principles of improvisation. I'm your host, Peter Margaritas, the self-proclaimed chief edutainment officer of my business, The Accidental Accountant. My goal is to provide you with thought-provoking interviews with business leaders so you can become an effective improviser, which will lead to building stronger relationships with clients, customers, colleagues, and even your family. So let's start the show. Welcome to episode 46 of Improv is No Joke podcast. Thank you very much for downloading this episode. Today's guest is Greg Condoracci in part two of a three-part series on energy management. Greg is the author of Getting Up, Supercharging Your Energy, and an energy management expert because of two main reasons. First, he's an author on the subject. And second, in 2015, he rode his bicycle across the United States in only 18 days, averaging 150 miles a day. Greg doesn't walk his talk. He rides his talk. If you haven't listened to our initial interview, it would be well worth it to download episode 35. Now, in our interview, I mentioned episode one. And what I meant was the first episode of our three-part series, a.k.a episode 35. Also, this is the first episode that's being released as a video, and you can find it on my YouTube channel. Go to YouTube and search The Accidental Accountant. We start this episode with a recap of episode 35, where Greg discusses that in the 21st century, it's less about time management and more about energy management. Our discussion focuses on one's physical and intellectual energy. In this episode, we continue the discussion of intellectual energy and move the discussion into emotional energy. First, intellectual energy, as Greg describes, requires focus, which is one of the principles of improvisation. One of his examples is the New England Patriots' miracle comeback win in Super Bowl XV. New England was trailing 28-3 with about eight minutes left in the third quarter. As you know, the Patriots mounted one of the greatest Super Bowl comebacks and won the game 34-28. As Greg explains, that required a tremendous amount of intellectual focus on the part of the entire team to make up a 25-point deficit in a quarter and a half. Part of our intellectual energy conversation takes a turn down the improv path with a discussion of what story are you telling yourself in your head and, yes, and. Greg has some improv training, but his daughter, Annie, studied improv at Second City in Chicago. I'm sure you'll enjoy this part of the discussion. Then we venture down the path of emotional energy, a.k.a. emotional energy vampires, a.k.a. our mothers, but in a good way. Actually, we are our own emotional energy vampires because we're exposed to so much negative energy, which does begin to seep into our heads. Greg gives us some great tips on how to manage those vampires. This episode, along with episode 35, are full of great stories told by Greg that help us make the emotional connection and makes it easily relatable to his topic. 
If you've been listening to my podcast for a while, you know that one of my goals with this podcast is that it'll help you begin to make changes in your work and personal lives so you can better connect with others and create meaningful relationships. Many people have said that it takes 21 days to start a habit. However, according to Dr. John Molitor, PhD, this is incorrect. John is a professor of psychiatry at Michigan State University and the president of the National Speakers Association Board of Directors. He said that the research shows that it takes 66 days to create a habit. So now we have to put in a little extra work to create that muscle memory. That's why I created the SN Challenge, to help keep these principles in front of you so you can build up your improvisational muscle. To sign up, please go to petermargaritas.com and scroll down to the SN Challenge call to action and click to register to begin building the productive habit of yes and and the principles of improvisation. And remember to share your experiences on Twitter using the hashtag YesAndChallenge. If you're unaware what the YesAndChallenge is all about, I also discuss this in greater detail in episode zero. So go back, take a listen. Remember, you can subscribe to my podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. If you would like to purchase a personalized signed copy of my book, Improv is No Joke, using improvisation to create positive results in leadership and in life for $14.99 and the shipping is free, please go to my website and you'll see the graphic on my homepage. Please allow up to 14 days for shipping. You can also follow me on social media. You can find me on Facebook by searching The Accidental Accountant. On Twitter, my Twitter handle is at pmargaritas. Connect with me on LinkedIn and Instagram by searching my name. Well, with that said, let's get to the interview with Greg Kandarachi. Hey, welcome, everybody. This is a part two series of a three-parter with Greg Kandarachi. This is also the first video podcast we are doing. And, and as you see, Greg, looks like he's ready to go out for a bike ride. He's, he's all dressed up in his biking gear, Mr. Energy himself. Welcome, Greg. I, gr- I greatly appreciate you taking time to um, spend with me again on my podcast. Great to be here. Thank you, Peter. Looking forward to it. <laughs> Your, our first episode uh, to date has gone gangbusters. It ha- it's right now for over two weeks. It's the largest, the episode that has the largest amount of downloads. We've had over 156 downloads in just two weeks. So that was a very powerful message that you gave us in episode one. If you could, let, let's start this episode by, give us a recap of, of, of episode one that we did, and then we'll just move right in. We'll pick up with the intellectual energy and then make our way into the emotional energy. Okay, sure will. Uh, Last time we talked about the difference between energy and time and my bias that in the 21st century, what really matters is energy, much more than time. Uh, The 20th century was the century of time, but now uh, time, because of the technology and because of the way we live and work, is is all stretched and weird. And uh, many people uh, keep looking for more time, and then they discover holy smokes, there's only 24 hours in a day. We can't get any more time. And so so now there's a huge trend, I think, globally for people to think more about, well, if I can't get any more time and I want to get more done and I want to have more balance in my life and I want to control my stress, maybe the secret is getting more energy. And 
that's really that was the focus of our discussion last time because you can't get more time but you can get way more energy and that's what we talked about last time and then part of it is that there are four energy buckets deep inside of us and they're all related but there's the physical energy intellectual energy emotional energy and spiritual energy i tell people just think pies p-i-e-s last time we spent a little bit of time talking about the physical energy which to me is really the least interesting of them all um, which people find surprising because they say wait a minute greg uh, you rode a bicycle all the way across the country in 18 days, 150 miles a day. That must have taken a lot of energy. And the answer is yes, it did. And you'll notice that I'm an old guy. I mean, I, <laughs> I did that. I was 66 when I did that a couple of years ago. And people say, well, how'd you do that? And I said, well, it's not just a matter of the physical energy. Um, yes, it takes some physical energy, but that's really kind of trivial. Uh, what I tell people is, look, just get enough rest. Uh, drink enough water and liquids. And, you know, and there are lots of books out there that'll tell you what you could eat and shouldn't eat. And my book is clearly not a diet. I don't <laughs> have too many prescriptions for, you know, what you should eat and how you should eat it because there's plenty out there. So much more powerful and much more important are the intellectual, emotional, and spiritual energy buckets. And today, most of our focus is going to be about the intellectual and emotional energy. And we'll save the spiritual, which I think is the, the most important and the deepest bucket of them all uh, for the last conversation. But y'all should also notice that uh, when I say spiritual, by the way, I do not mean necessarily religious. I mean, we all have a spiritual component and uh, that affects all of us. But that's not what we're going to focus on today. We're going to focus on the intellectual and the emotional pieces. Great. And I want to say that I, I, just as anything new, it takes a while to build a habit. And some days you fall off that habit. But I have been trying this to take that information that you provided us in that first episode. And I have more energy in the morning, and I'm I'm, I'm trying to do my, more of my writing in the morning. I'm trying I'm trying not to look at email and, and that other stuff until around lunchtime. And I I, I am much more productive. I, I'm I'm I've I found myself writing more, getting more stuff done during that time frame, and I'm also taking some naps in the afternoon. And it's gotten really easier now that my my wife is. Uh, full-time employed again. So it's much easier to take that afternoon nap. But I, I do find, I, I find myself so much more refreshed, even if it's, you know, most of the time it's like 20 or 30 minutes. And sometimes I don't really sleep, but I just stop and give my body a rest. And then I'm able to go back at it. And just so I'm putting up your book right now. So the, for the video people <laughs> that buy this book, um, <laughs> okay. it, it, it's, a, it's a really, really, really good read. And those times that you're sitting there going, oh, what did Greg say? Um, you can find it in here. You can also find it in the podcast, but you can find it in here too. And we'll refer to the book, uh, especially one chapter that I found very interesting. I'm sure we'll talk about that uh, here. But um, yeah, lots of great stuff. I, I've seen a change just in myself and my productivity. And, and, and I've, been, I've been preaching the, it's not time management. It's energy management. Right. Yeah. I mean, as you as you discover, often it's not so much a matter of time as it is a major matter of timing. Because at different times of the day, we have more or less energy. So if you look at it from the standpoint of timing, when is my energy 
rich and when is my energy weak? Uh, you just can get more done when you have more energy. It just stands to reason. So uh, what you've done uh, very wisely is said, hey, look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do my most work, do my best work when I have the most energy. It's a huge problem for us these days because the technology is always there. It's always around us and it's always distracting us. And sometimes it's great just to kick back and you know watch a YouTube video or something like that. No problem. But if you're doing that, or in your case and in my case too, you know, kind of answering email and being distracted by all that stuff, right when your energy is at, as it's at its peak, well, then later on, all right, now I got to buckle down and get to work, but you might have much less juice. So everything takes longer. So yeah, so that's so those things that you're mentioning, very powerful. And then, of course, when you're tired, just take a nap. That's kind of what we're designed to do. And unplug, which I think is a really, really good idea. We don't have to necessarily go fast to sleep, but unplug from all the noise that's around us. And then, of course, consequently, all the noise in our head. And then we can <laughs> do a lot better. Yeah, so, there's a lot of noise in my head. <laughs> <laughs> so talk to us about intellectual energy. Uh, uh, Define that for me because I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get intellectual energy. It, does that mean just consuming more content, reading more books? Well, certainly uh, that's part of it. Uh, the intellectual energy is the energy that a lot of us get paid to use. Um, it's the energy that uh, that when people think about thinking as opposed mm. to feeling when they talk about thinking they're talking about intellectual energy so it, you know if i give you a math problem to do in your head if i say multiply 17 by 24 in your head it, you, the reason that you have that look of agony and pain on your face is <laughs> at some level you know oh crap that's going to take a lot of intellectual energy right, right. Uh, and it in fact does and uh, in the book and uh, in my courses, I talk about uh, the Wonderlic test that uh, they give uh, all the college seniors who want to go on and play professional football. And uh, it's a test. It's a 50 question test. They have 25 minutes to answer it. Um, and, uh, you know, a really superstar quarterback is going to get like half of them. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and what it and what it's measuring is your ability to bring the kind of intellectual energy and focus uh, that uh, that really differentiates the good players from the great players. You know, um, the you know, I mean, anybody who saw the Super Bowl uh, can see. Wow, you know, when you look at the, at that quarterback focus, you got some intellectual energy going there. Uh, sure, physically good, but to be able to turn the team, you know, uh, the pats around and, and do what 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 Brady did. Right. Whoa, oh lot of intellectual focus. So uh, that's really what intellectual energy is. It's the, it's the ability to focus. And, and you gave a good example at the beginning of, of the podcast when you said, you know, uh, when I wake up in the morning and I'm fresh and I really want to tackle that stuff, well, you've got a lot of intellectual energy. And, uh, and that's, what, that's really what you're bringing to bear, you know, to write, to think, to do your work, to work with clients. Um, and often we think of it, well, that's, that's what you get paid to do. You get paid to bring to bear your intellectual focus, especially important in the 21st century where, you know, I mean, if you're working on an assembly line, it requires no intellectual focus at all. Just don't put your hand in the drill press. Right. <laughs> <laughs> 
that that's it. Yeah. I mean, that, you know, you're just banging stuff out. You can be thinking about crabgrass and the Orioles or whatever. It doesn't make any difference. Uh, but in, in the 21st century, the kind of energy that we value are people who can really understand problems, who can diagnose difficult situations, who can see the forest for the trees, whatever trite phrase you want to put together that says, you know, this person is really sharp. They're on the ball. They understand. They have insight. That's what intellectual energy is. Okay. I, 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 I get it. Uh, and but I just think you were talking about the Super Bowl and the tremendous amount of focus that they were able to generate uh, to have that huge comeback and, and the amount of intellectual energy that they had to expend. I, I was surprised they were really able to get up and even be in the parade the next day or two days later, because to, to do what they they did with obviously some help with the Falcons who, you know, lost a lot of energy or intellectually, they may have thought we've got the game and just kind of let off the gas a little bit. But just on a side note, I find it curious. Two years ago, when the Pats came back and beat Seattle, that February, they had the most snow in history in Boston. And, and yesterday, there was a blizzard that hit Boston. They had like up to 12 inches of snow, uh-huh. which proves God had money on the Falcons <laughs> <laughs> and, the well, Se- and the Seahawks. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe, uh, but you know, you 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 gave a great example right there of um, one of the key parts about intellectual uh, energy, which is the story that you have in your head. Okay, so uh, the story that the Falcons had during the first half is, "We got this. We're yeah. done." Okay, and 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 of course, when you when you get to that point, you automatically let down. Um, on the other hand, the Pats clearly had the story, we can win this. It, you know, the game's not over. We can win this. And that makes a big difference because we're all carrying stories in our head, thousands of them. And, you know, the big ones are, you know, health and relationships and family and work. And, you know, we all have an idea about that. And, and part of it is, you know, is, are those stories that we're carrying around in our head are they giving us energy or are they taking energy away? And one of my favorite examples is Lon Haldeman, who's a good friend of mine. And uh, Lon is like the ultra distance cyclist, Mickey Mantle. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay? I mean, he, uh, he at one time held all the records for riding across the country. Uh, he was one of the founders of Race Across America. He held the record for riding all the way across the country and riding all the way across the country and back, if you can believe that, um, <laughs> as well as as well as uh, the record for tandem race riding across the country, and on and on. I mean, he is an amazing guy, and um, he told me that you know that uh, after he finished one of those uh, competitions, he would be intellectually exhausted for weeks. Uh, physically not so bad. I mean, he was in great shape. He recovered after maybe a few days to a week, but intellectually, because when you're doing something like that, that, that re- requires that much physical and intellectual effort, you're always focused. He says, I'm always thinking, can I go faster? Can I go slower? How much time to the next point? Uh, what do I need to do at this stretch? How do I have, he says, I'm always thinking. And, and so he literally conditioned his brain to tell him he could do this. And that's enormously powerful. 
So, you know, and having ridden across the country a couple of times myself, I can tell you, you know, you're out there on the bike, like in the middle of the plains, uh, you can say, oh, my God, it is so hot and my butt is so sore. <laughs> and, and, you know, and these corn and wheat fields, they just go on forever and ever and ever. And I'm never going to do it. And that's a story. And you know what? There's a lot of truth in that story, but it's not a high energy story. Equally good and equally true is a story that says, you know, it's beautiful out here. It's uh, I'm going across the country. I had no idea it was so uh, vast. What a wonderful, what an amazing experience! I'll be able to tell my grandchildren about this. Um, And uh, you know, and the heat really is is it's hot, but boy, it's good for my joints. And, you know, it's much better than if it was cold and, uh, you know, and, and pretty soon I'll be, you know, in a nice hotel enjoying the air conditioning. So it's not going to be that bad. And, and look, there's no traffic out here. And, and so all those things are also true. Right. And, but that story, that story gives you energy. That story gives you juice. Okay. And if you've got that story running in your head, Instead of the other story running in your head, you're going to make it. Um, the, the example that uh, I, I use in the book and, and frequently is uh, in 2006, I climbed Mount Kilimanjaro uh, with a group of uh, really great guys, uh, none of us professional mountain climbers. And, uh, and I was privileged to be climbing with a guy who is an eminent uh, physician here in Baltimore, a really good guy, great climber, very good shape. And uh, we're making the final assault on uh, on the peak. And when you do that, uh, what happens is, of course, you get up at one o'clock in the morning and, and it's pitch dark and uh, you're already at 15,000 feet. So there's not a lot of oxygen and it is cold as all get out <laughs> and uh, and the wind is blowing. And uh, it's not it's probably one of the most inhospitable places on Earth. And you're sort of winding your way up the mountain. All you can see is sort of, you know, through your your headlamp, you can see the guy in front of you. And so we're working our way up and, you know, maybe at about 16, 17,000 feet. Um, He turns to me and he says, Greg, I'm third spacing my water. And for those of us who who are not mountain climbers, what that means is uh, instead of the water being in your stomach or in your bladder, which is where it belongs, it could be in your lungs or in your head which is where it doesn't belong. And in either of those places, uh, it can kill you. And it, it, it's, it's called, you know, the generic term is called mountain sickness. Uh, and, uh, and what it means is that, you know, if it builds up in your lungs, you can't breathe. If it builds up in your head, you, you can imagine what happens there. Right, right, right. right. And so I, obviously this is a terrible story to have in your head as you're trying to climb a mountain and believe that's true, uh, you're in real trouble. Um, fortunately, although I'm not a doctor, I play one on television. <laughs> <laughs> or actually, in truth, I play one. I, I teach in school of public health at Hopkins. So I teach doctors about yeah. uh, marketing. So, uh, so you got a physician talking to a marketing guy. And of course, I don't know anything. But I turn to him and I say, well, you know, are you having trouble breathing? And he says, no. And I say, okay, well, do you have a headache? And he says, no. Okay, now you've got, you know, the layman diagnosing the doctor, but those both of those conditions are clear symptoms of mountain sickness. And if you don't got them, you probably don't have the problem. All right. So I asked him what made him think that he was in trouble. And he said, well, 
I haven't gone to the bathroom in a long time. Okay. And for those of us who are at my you would go pretty frequently if you were hydrating properly and you were. But what he missed there is that uh, Kilimanjaro is, is an Arctic desert. I mean, even though the mountain is on the equation, uh, on the equator, it's at such an altitude that it's enormously dry and because uh, you're above the clouds. And, uh, and so even breathing, costs you a, a lot of moisture. So he was probably fine. He was just breathing out uh, his uh, liquid instead of other ways. So I turned to him and I said, you know, I, I think you're okay. <laughs> and he agreed. I mean, he just needed someone to change his story. And the two of us summited and he was fine and he's fine today. And we still, we still laugh about it. But, but the truth there also is, Turning around and going down, which is the only cure if you have mountain sickness, uh, would have been enormously dangerous and difficult in the dark, which is where we were. So even though it's ridiculous for me to diagnose the doctor, uh, the, the, the marketing guy in me said, you know, you really need to change your story. And uh, changing that story gave him and me uh, the energy to make it all the way to the top together. And it, it gave us, obviously, a great story to tell, but also an important lesson. You know, what are the stories that are that are rattling around in your head and uh are they helping you or are they hurting you from an energy standpoint uh as you as you're describing this and i wrote down the story that you have in your head and a lot of time that story that we have in our head we have somebody else in our head called our inner critic who's telling us all this stuff that we should no you can't do that and we all want that credit there at times because it's there to protect us. I, you know, I want, I, if I'm going to go skydiving and I'm about to jump out of a plane and I don't have a parachute, I want my inner critic going, Pete, don't do this. Don't, don't jump out because <laughs> skydiving without a parachute is a once in a lifetime event. <laughs> right. I, I want to say, but then, so now I'm going to have a little fun. I, I equate all of this and you even address it in my favorite chapter in your book, chapter 18 about MacGyver. It's, improv it's it's yes and versus yes but no because it's about yes and and, and I, I guess i i heard it uh this past week for, uh, i was at the white castle uh, leadership conference i was doing the closing keynote but the opening keynote or marilyn sherman who uh business front lo- front row leadership she mentioned about the story in your head and how you craft that story where you where you, instead of being up in the balcony, you come down to the front row. And I, I think that and this really tied it in is what what story are we telling us in order to achieve our goals? And that ties up with the physical energy, that intellectual energy, that yes and approach of of getting through tough times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think one of the points you're making, which is so critical, I think, is the voice in your head is saying no. It's not saying yes and. Okay? Right. Because the voice in your head, which in my head sounds a lot like my mother, uh, same, same uh, here. Is, is there, as you say, to keep you safe. And that's why the first word that we learn is no. I mean, when you've got the car keys and you're three and you're going over to see if they fit in the electrical outlet, (laughs) your mother says, no. Okay. So we learn, no, it's the first word and we learn it for our safety, but it's way different than yes. And And, uh, I'm sure that on the, on the Bowl, uh, there were a lot of 
critical, I call that voice the critical advisor. Uh, there were a lot of critical advisors screaming in the Patriots' heads, no, no, you're not going to make it. And their ability to say, yes, and we are, uh, is, is, I think, what makes the difference. And so that, I think, those two words, yes, and, uh, which I tell people is kind of the new designer, but... <laughs> <laughs> Yes, and instead of but, see how it works. Yeah. Uh, you know, but yes, and uh, I think is 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 enormous. It's an enormous tool, and, and it begins a lot of great stories, and that's really uh, powerful intellectual energy too. And you have some training in, in, in improv, uh, and actually, your daughter, as I learned in the book, at two o'clock in the morning, I almost gave you a phone call because I'm learning this from a book. And I've known you for a bit. Uh, uh, studied uh, improv uh, at Second City in Chicago. Yes. Oh, well, my daughter has been a, a rigorous student of improv. She's taken, uh, I think, every course that Second City and Improv Olympics and uh, some of the other improv schools in the area have taught. And uh, she could teach it. Uh, and, and, and she often finds herself teaching her dad, too. Uh, <laughs> uh, there's uh, that ability to to find uh, the the good piece, and I, and I think one of the things that's that's powerful about improv is that you have the ability to make up a story, and it's a often it's a true story. I mean, in life, it's a true story. We just choose not to select the true story. Stupid us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, and we we select the negative story for the reasons that you describe the voice of the critical advisor, and that forecloses all the other options. And one of the key learnings of improv is that there are so many options out there if you just say yes and instead of no. Uh, and and that's a powerful, powerful intellectual energy too. And, and the ability to accept the risk and the failure because you know that not everything's going to work out, but you still move forward versus, I mean, I, I have that inner critic in my head. It, it, a lot of times, Yesterday, it started yelling at me before my keynote that I finally got some duct tape out right around his mouth. Exactly. And, and just, you know, just kept doing that, get that negative energy out, turn it into positive energy through, through yes and. And, and it, it does work, but to your point, and I've never heard it put this way, our go-to is no. Our go-to in our head is no. It's been programmed, so it is my mother's fault. Mom, if you're listening to this, you should have said yes to me more often than no. And and she she is a, she she does I'm gonna make sure she downloads this one, but I can I can see that and it takes work to create that habit just as it takes work to create the habit of okay I'm gonna get up in the morning and I'm gonna tackle all my tough stuff with the with the physical energy as you were talking about in episode one it, it, it takes creating that habit to do that. Yeah, I mean it. Uh, I have had the privilege of watching one of Annie's improv teachers from Second City uh, work with his four-year-old son. And, um, you know, he'll ask the boy, so do you want some soup? And the son says, no. <laughs> and the father says, uh, what do we say? And the little boy says, uh, okay, um, yes, and maybe later. <laughs> <laughs> Smart kid. <laughs> that kid is going someplace, no doubt about it. <laughs> uh, so, uh, so I think, yeah, it is. It is ex exactly what you're what you're talking about, and and the the, the trick. 
I mean, the trick in all of this is not to lie to yourself. I mean, some people think, well, you know, I want to make up a story. It's going to be a lie. No, 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 no. Because you're not going to believe that. You, you, but there. So, but the beauty of improv is it makes up many, many true stories, and that's that's an enormously powerful intellectual energy tool. Right, and as you said, it, it's got to be something believable in yourself. Not, I don't care if everybody else doesn't believe me, but I have to believe it in order to make it work. Right, right, exactly. right. So, in your book, you kind of wrap up this whole intellectual energy piece with this MacGyver chapter and and, and your your discussion about improv. Then you move into the emotional side. Right. <laughs> yes. So let's 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 go let's go open a casket and see if there's a vampire in there. Yeah. The uh, of all the stuff that I talk about, the most popular energy subject is this idea of emotional energy, and especially, especially of course, uh, emotional vampires. Uh, the energy vampires. Uh, these are the people who can suck the oxygen right out of a room. <laughs> Out of a meeting, out of a career, out of a company, out of a marriage, you you name it. Okay, uh, and uh, what, what I like to tell people is the, these energy vampires are not bad people. Okay, they're good people, and in fact, uh, reflecting on the discussion that you and I just had, probably two of our biggest energy vampires were our mothers. Okay. <laughs> You hear that, Mom? <laughs> yeah. uh, and, and obviously, I love my mom. If she's listening, God bless you. She's <laughs> 92. Uh, and, uh, you know, she'll, we'll talk and she'll say, what are you doing today? I say, well, I'm going for a 100-mile ride. She says, oh, why would you do that? Uh, you know, it's so dangerous. You're going to be tired. Uh, your age, you shouldn't be doing this. You know, and, and all of that is well-meaning. There's none of that. Uh, that is, you know, comes from a bad spot. Right, anywhere right. In her, okay. Uh, but, uh, but understand that that is uh, an energy drainer. Okay. And what that does is it goes immediately to the emotions of, yeah, maybe I don't feel like it, or maybe it will be hot out there, or maybe there will be a lot of traffic and I don't want to be alone. And, you know, all those, all those kind of stories. And those are all emotional drains. Mm -hmm. And so what we're trying to do is we're trying to say, well, we, you know, we don't want to be an energy vampire uh, for anybody else and also not for ourselves. And, you know, in full disclosure, I tell people I am my own biggest energy vampire. And people say, well, what do you mean, Greg? You're pretty positive. Yeah, I know. But I spend more time with me than anybody else. <laughs> So little bits and pieces of negative energy, which are all around us all the time. They get in and they accumulate and, you know, you kind of got to shake the dustbin out of your head every once in a while because you'll pick these up. And just as you say, Peter, you know, that critical advisor voice is in there and it's not just spinning an intellectual story. It's spinning an emotional story as well. Um, and, and that's really what you got to watch out for. Um, it's that emotional story because, uh, often it's the emotional energy, uh, that drives the intellectual energy because, you know, often, I mean, you, you had this experience cause we all had, I know I've had many a time and that is we get a feeling and then we make up a story to justify the feeling. And, uh, you know, so, you know, so often the emotional energy positive or negative comes first. And then comes the intellectual energy. And when you talk about emotional energy, I think it falls in this kind of the same genre of 
we make decisions based on emotions. Yes. So if you're, if I'm trying to sell you a, a TV and I tell you all the facts and figures and everything related to that TV, I'll, mm, I, uh, but if I said, you know what, this TV, oh, by the way, Cal Ripken was in here the other day and bought this TV. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> that emotion, you get more likely to act on that emotion. Same thing, same thing in, in, in delivering financial information. If you're just up there spewing facts and figures and data, and then you're going to start sounding like Ben Stein and Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Anyone? 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 Bueller? Anyone? Uh, but once you can put some emotion, a human factor to that, the likelihood that they're going to stay awake, the likelihood that they're going to pay attention, the likelihood that they're going to act on it, increases dramatically with that takes that to the intellectual energy and says, Hey, who let's do this versus just facts and figures and so on and so forth. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, mother Teresa, probably one of the greatest salespeople of all times used to say, you know, you can give me all the statistics you want, but you know, you show me the face of one kid and you know, I'm much more likely to get involved, you know, to give, to support that, you know, it's, it's, it's the type of thing that we are just not wired to be able to absorb, especially on the emotional level, the data, what we're wired is to absorb the experience and to have the feeling and then to work outward to the data. That's huge. And that's exactly the way, that's exactly the way we work. So um, in a lot of places, people talk about, you know, we want to do culture change and here are the 17 reasons why. <laughs> it's like, yeah. eh, uh, you know, the, the culture is about emotion, how people feel and how they treat each other and how they act toward each other. And, uh, and then you can make the logical argument. Uh, so, yeah, spend a lot of time with companies. on Yeah, ex- exactly. And, and two instances that just recently happened to me is, and I think I shared this with you and I had put it in a blog posting on new year's day. I, we found out that my son was a, is a type one diabetic like myself. And I've got a close friend, uh, who a couple months ago, he shared a story with me that his daughter, they, they discovered that she was a type one diabetic. There's no diabetes in the family. They didn't, they, they didn't, they didn't know the signs. And, 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 but I saw my son and he was at, he, he was cl- clearly demonstrating some signs excessive thirst, excessive urination, took his blood sugar, took him to the emergency room. And he and I were talking and we both had this emotion of, you know, parents don't see these signs. How, what can we do? We, we want to carry that bandwagon to, to, to open eyes. And we came up with the idea of doing a, 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 a TED talk, both of us doing it, doing a TED talk to help get that take that emotion and turn it into intellectual energy to help raise awareness. Um, and, and as you were describing this, I'm like, that's exactly what, what he and I, uh, and, and I interviewed him earlier in one of my podcasts, Jamie Richardson, who's the uh, vice president of shareholder and government relations at, at White Castle. I mean, you, you could just see this emotion in both of us as we discovered that would be a way to get this message out there. But if it was just, you know, and I, you know, I'm a, I'm a type one, but I got it at an older age and, and I sat there and went, why didn't I have this champion thought when I was diagnosed and over the past 10 or 11 years, but boy, it hit my son. That whole thing changed just like right on a dime. Right. And I think that's really powerful in that, and that there are many inflection points over the course of our life and, you know, how we bring intellectual and emotional energy to them 
is enormously powerful. You know, whether you get that diagnosis that you talk about or whether you're halfway up a mountain and you suddenly think, well, maybe there's another story, you know? I mean, so all of that stuff has to do, uh, you know, very powerfully with emotions. And if you have the right kind of emotions, uh, I mean, you probably know better than I, there are many, many successful people, successful athletes, superstars, and so on and so on who are uh, type one diabetics. Doesn't have to be uh, as debilitating as maybe it used to be, or some people think it is, but that emotional blow, um, your son's, I'm sure your son's ability to roll with that. And in fact, treat it positively, probably rubbed off from somebody else in his family. I don't know who. (laughs) Probably the dog. (laughs) Yeah. He's, he's, he's done Actually, he, he has done an outstanding job, even, even the nurse at school and, and, and his doctors. And they said, He's he's adapted and accepted it because he's been watching it for ten years. Yeah, yeah, and uh, you know, so in a sense, I mean, uh, it's it's you know, your example to him has been really a gift. It's helping him through this, and and that's a really powerful concept in terms of uh, emotional energy because uh, if we get a big dollop of emotional energy, it wipes out all our alternatives. We stop thinking. We stop seeing. And so your uh, idea that, you know, why don't other people see this? Why don't we do something to help other people see this is I think that's a great idea because negative uh, emotional energy starts to shuts down all your other options. I mean, the way we're wired, as soon as we get this big dollop of negative emotional energy, we focus. And that's because of evolution. I mean, there is a saber-toothed tiger, right? I foreclose all other options. I don't notice the lily next to me or, you know, my buddy down the path. I look at the tiger, all right? And it's survival. Uh, but in the modern world, often that works against us, you know, often that works against us. So the ability to push back against that emotional energy is uh, negative is key. So you, you were mentioning also something about, you know, so you changed the corporate culture and you said, oh, here's the 17 reasons why we're going to change it. So you say you work with some companies. Can you, can you give some examples on that as you've worked with companies to create that positive emotional energy in order to manage change? Yeah, uh, this is kind of a, a strange example, um, but one of the one of the things that I also do is I do a lot of volunteer work in the community, and uh, I was working with, of all things, uh, a, a bunch of people in a homeless shelter. And uh, at this particular shelter, many of the employees themselves uh, had been just recently homeless. I mean, you know, they they've kind of decided to turn their life around, and now they're. Now they're working, they have a job and, and they're good role models for other people who can look over there and say, oh, look, if he can do it, maybe I can. Um, so we, we did this whole thing on vampires and the director, who is really an inspired lady, said, oh, wow, this is huge because obviously many of the homeless people come in with these huge vampires sitting on their shoulders, metaphorically speaking, or riding on their backs. And so she, <laughs> she has vampire, she made up a bunch of vampire dolls and she has them all over the office. And, uh, you know, if somebody says something that's negative, she hands them a vampire doll or they're small enough she can throw at them. You know, it's the, it's the vampire dolls from Sesame street. You remember there was a yeah. vampire. So, uh, so that, that's an example of a, of an effort to, uh, to change that. I do a lot of work with organizations who are in a merger or acquisition uh, position, because that often 
has a lot of negative connotations. I mean, you're out there and you're, you know, I, I, we've done it our way for 25 years and now we're going to have to do it their way. And I don't think their way is right. And I think my way is right. Why? Because, 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 because. And so um, do a lot of work with companies who are going through those type of changes. Uh, it's very difficult. And I've had the privilege, and I use that term loosely, of being <laughs> a number of mergers and acquisitions myself. And uh, often it's the emotional energy, not the intellectual energy, because usually there's a good reason for the merger and we're all going to be better off. And if we all pull together, everything's going to be super, but no, nah, don't feel like it. <laughs> <laughs> that's when you're, that's when you're looking at, uh, when you have to be able to, uh, I tell people, you have to be able to spot a vampire and you have to do it fast. F-A-S-T. And so, uh, and, and I said, well, what do you mean by that? I said, well, F stands for fear because that's what being a vampire is all about. Okay. You're afraid. Okay. And you might be afraid of blowing your keynote or you might be afraid of, uh, going down the double mogul <laughs> run, or you might be afraid of something else, but, but you're afraid. And, and so people who are vampires are afraid. Now they can be afraid for themselves or they can be afraid for you. But the key thing to understand is that vampirism begins with fear. That's what it's all about. Okay. Um, then, uh, then the next thing is, you know, uh, is, well, what, a, what, what, what do vampires avoid? Well, what they avoid is, uh, you know, any kind of blame or responsibility or or sunlight, frankly, which is why <laughs> vampires, you know, nobody wants to be seen as a vampire. Nobody wants to be called a vampire, you know, but, but you know, it's like if you know someone who is negative, I mean, what they're often what they're doing at work and in organizations is they don't want to take the rap if it fails, <laughs> okay? Right. They want to avoid responsibility. They want to avoid, I didn't do this. It wasn't my idea. I don't want, you know, we see that all the time. Uh, there, are, there are lots of people out there who think that they're going to make their job better by making it smaller. <laughs> you know? So they avoid doing any kind of work that they might fail at. Your point about failure is huge here because they want to avoid failure at all costs, which of course, and I say, well, there's a great way to avoid never being in an automobile accident, never get in a car, but <laughs> you can see a angle. So, so, so th there's the avoid. And, th and then uh, the next thing is S stands for what do they say? Okay. And it's all the negative words that you can imagine that, you know, uh, vampires say no a lot. <laughs> okay. And then the final thing, which is T it's what do they think? Well, they think that whatever it is you want to do or they need to do can't be done. That's what they think. And uh, what I like to say is that one of the biggest reasons they think that is there's not enough time. And that's why vampires have to live forever, because for a vampire, there'll <laughs> never be enough time, you know. Uh, but you can imagine if if at the last Super Bowl, uh, the Pats were thinking, well, there's not enough time. <laughs> you know? Right. And we all know it wasn't a matter of time. OK, uh, there was enough time. And so, and that's often, I mean, the lesson of that is also, hey, you know what? There never was an overtime in a Super Bowl before, but now there is some. And often, uh, one of the things that vampires tell themselves is there's not enough time when there really is. And one of the reasons they don't see, think there's enough time is their negative story is so draining away their energy that at their current level of energy, no, there might not be enough time. 
right? But if you have energy, there might be plenty of time. If you remember during the playoffs, uh, the Cowboys were playing the Green Bay Packers, and the Cowboys came down and scored with uh, to put them ahead, and they they left thirty five seconds on the clock, and then uh, Green Bay came down and, and and ultimately won that won that game. And in the post game interview, they asked Aaron Rodgers a question: uh, What did he think uh, when the Cowboys scored? And he said they left too much time on the clock. Right. That thirty-five seconds, yeah, yeah, exactly, and that—that's true. I mean, we can. Time does come into that to a lot of that thought process, like uh, thirty-five seconds. I, uh, a classic one. My years ago, my father, he went to a UK basketball game. They were playing Kansas and in, in, in Lexington. I guess they were getting blown out, and, and I was at home watching the game, and all of a sudden, he comes in the house. He and I, I, he may have gone with my brother and my mother. <laughs> I go, what are you doing? He goes, oh, man, we were getting blown out. I said, Dad, they're, they're just about to win this game. And he could not believe it. He could not believe it. He, he missed probably at that time, probably one of the greatest comebacks ever. And he just, uh, they, there's no way. There's not enough time for them to come back and win this game. There's always, there's always time on the clock. Unless it's sitting at double zero, then time. Well, yeah, I mean, there, and see, part of it is, I think the lesson there, which is powerful, is that we tell ourselves there's not enough time. So we don't feel, that's the emotional piece, like there's enough time. So we tell ourselves a story, that's the intellectual piece, that it's hopeless, and then we give up. And again, it's all about energy. It's not really about time. Now, sometimes, obviously, it is. I mean, if, if they had only left two seconds on the clock, <laughs> they wouldn't have been able to come back. Uh, so it's not that time is irrelevant. It's just that we so often focus on the time when we should be focusing on the end. That's, that's, that's an excellent point. And that's probably going to be one of my biggest takeaways because I, I know sometimes – I, I just don't have enough time to, to do this. I'm going, oh, wait, wait, wait a minute. You, you can find the time. You can make the time. It's not, I'm looking forward. Sometimes I keep thinking too much in the past. What, what else would you like to close with uh, as it relates to emotional energy? Well, you know, people say, well, what do you do with a vampire? And I say, well, you know, you pull out the steak. <laughs> I thought you're supposed to put the steak in. Yeah, we'll talk about that. <laughs> and so just as we, they had something for F-A-S-T, there's something for S-T-A-K-E, and that is the first step is is really to speak energy. Oftentimes in, in the corporate world, if you just speak energy, instead of saying someone to someone, well, why are you uh, slowing everything down here? Uh, what's the matter with you? Why don't you get with the program? You could say, well, did you realize that when you made that negative comment in a meeting, you drained off everybody's energy? Yeah. <laughs> no. Or did you realize that you didn't get the report in on time or when you showed up 20 minutes late or, you know, and, and many people will say, no, 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 I didn't. I didn't realize that. OK. And 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 that's really that's really a powerful idea. So I see the first, you know, speak energy. And, and it's, it's a kinder, gentler, different way of speaking to employees. And I think it makes a difference. That the T is, is I, I say, well, let's take away the perverse incentives. You know, what do you mean by that? If you have any kind of a compensation system or HR system that punishes people for making mistakes, for failing, <laughs> then you've got a perverse incentive. Because 
Because uh, like as you pointed out, not being afraid to fail is an important part of improv and failure is the way we learn. All right. So it, it, so if you've got perverse incentives, either in, somewhere in your company, the way it's organized or the way people are rewarded or compensated, you want to get rid of those. Uh, the A is all about acquiring buddies because, you know, there's the opposite of the energy vampires and that's the energy buddy. You know, uh, there are people who I ride with who I can ride all day and all night if I'm riding with him or her. And there are other people where, oh, my God, just going around the block is a pain. (laughs) So so it's really, you know, what you want to do is you want to acquire energy buddies. And then the K on stake is kill them with kindness. Because remember, energy, you know, being an energy vampire is all about fear. All right. So frequently, if you're good to somebody and they're not afraid, they stop being a vampire. What a surprise. Okay. So, so be kind, be nice to people, even, you know, so essentially what I'm saying is you return negative energy with positive energy. And, uh, and that is magical. All right. And then finally, uh, the E is, well, in the end, you kind of have to eliminate it. Uh, <laughs> I mean, if, 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 you, if they're in your life and they're really, there's no hope and you've tried all the other stuff, you kind of have to eliminate it. Well, you might say, well, Greg, uh, how are you going to eliminate your mother? And the answer is I'm not, uh, <laughs> but you know, but there might be other ways that you can, you know, you don't have to necessarily shoot someone. Uh, you don't have to fire someone, um, but you could say, look, I'm going to just change the way I invest time and invest energy in this particular person. So I'm going to eliminate that person from, from my company, from my life, from whatever, as much as possible. Oftentimes, uh, be, you know, uh, people are vampires just because they're a bad fit and, you know, they get fired and both the company and they are better off. Okay. So, so part of it is the, the last step, and I stress it's the last step is to eliminate the vampires. But at some point, if you don't, well, then you got this little cancer running around in your company and, you know, and that ain't going to be good. Exactly. Say hello to my little friend here. You know, like Tony Montana, I'm going to eliminate you. But but you you make a very strong point. And I'm going to tie this back to a previous podcast with Karen Young, uh, where she talked about we tend to hire fast and fire slow. And we've all made bad hires. We should reverse that. And during the hiring process, we should really vet them. Okay. And even if we vetted them and they, 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 they start working for us, it, it still might be a bad fit. Then we need to fire fast. Don't, don't drag our feet with it. Just we, we, we've taken the, the steps necessary to see if we can correct that behavior, see if the person can fit. But if it's just not working, just address the issue, get the vampire out of the building, and let's keep moving forward. It's, it's truly better for both, as you said, the company and the uh, the employee it, it itself. Very much the case. Also, to follow up on that, if you interview with energy in mind, that would be a different interview than interviewing with the other stuff that you might have in your head. Okay, so um, you know you might ask somebody, "Well, how do you spend your time?" Well, okay, uh, you're going to get a different answer if you say, "Well, so how do you spend your energy?" <laughs> you, might, you might find you might find uh, that that different questions give you not only different answers but better answers as well. 
Uh, what, excuse me. What do you mean by energy? I, I, aren't you supposed to ask me, uh, how do I spend my time? What do you mean, how do I spend my energy? I have no, well, I think you just got your answer right there because I can't answer the question. Exactly right. Wow. Uh, and I think this whole thing with mergers and acquisitions, I, I, I do believe that you and I both share a client uh, in Norfolk, Virginia, who's going through a merger and acquisition. And I don't know if you've been there already or you're going to be going there, but that's a lot of what they're going through. It's you, you're, you're bringing two different cultures, even though you might you're selling the same in the same genre, the same same product line. But you're bringing two different cultures together into one. And yes, you're right. There is a tremendous amount of emotion involved. And you see this, you see this all the time in mergers. You see it right now with the, with the U.S. Air and American Airlines merger and the United and Continental merger. Mergers are, are, it's a tough hurdle to get over because there's so much emotion in that. And often it is the emotion and not the logic that derails these things. It's ego, it's all that kind of stuff. Uh, when in fact, if everybody played nice in the sandbox and there was some good energy all the way around, you'd have a world beater company. Right. There was a Harvard Business Review article out, I think it's about a couple of years ago, and basically it said, if you can take the emotion out of the conversation, you'll get to a solution faster. As soon as you throw emotion into the conversation, it'll get derailed and it'll go sideways on you. And I, I, I equate that to the opening scene of the movie Bridesmaids when uh, they're, uh, the two main characters, Vince Vaughn and, and Owen, is the mediating a divorce. And the, 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 the couple is just going at each other. Uh, I, I wanted to use that clip in some, in some of my presentations, but I think the language got a little salty there. But then after they said, well, you know, I, I think it was Vince Vaughn said to us, at one time you loved each other. Because you got married. And that statement just took that emotion right out of the room. And then they were able to come to some type of solution. Exactly. That's cool, man. That's that, that, This is great stuff. I mean, I, the, the first episode, now this, now this one. And we've got one more to go, which, which will be spiritual, which we'll record here in, in, in a few weeks. And this will be coming out uh, late April. As a lot of my audience is looking, going, oh, that's what the sun looks like as we've been buried in, in either 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 corporate financial reporting uh, or in taxes. But um, this this will help you get past that and get ready for the the rest of the year. Um, Greg, I cannot thank you enough. You inspire me. Um, you give me a lot of energy. I, I wish I could ride my bike as far as you do. Uh, actually, you inspired me so much that prior to our first conversation, I mentioned how much I, I miss riding my bike in the winter because I, I don't like the cold. And you had mentioned about the, the trainer piece for your bike. Uh, well, I, I've got it. It's in here. And, I, and I've been riding my bike when I'm home at, at least three or four times uh, a, a week uh, for about an hour or so. So. Uh, very inspirational. Uh, I'm looking forward to our next conversation. And thank you so very much. I greatly appreciate your time. Oh, thank you too, Peter. It's been great. I'd like to thank Greg again for taking time out of his schedule to give us his thoughts on energy management. The last episode of this three-part series will focus on spiritual energy and is the best episode of the three. Greg writes in his book that spiritual energy is embedded in each person's mission, his or her life's purpose. 
This episode will be airing later this summer. If you'd like to buy a copy of Greg's book, Getting Up, Supercharging Your Energy, you can find it on Amazon.com. Well worth the investment. In episode 47, I interviewed Jody Paydar, who is the Radical CPA, and that's the title of her book that she published in 2015. We have a wonderful discussion about the future of the accounting profession and focus in on the future of public accounting. Remember, you can subscribe to my podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. If you'd like to purchase a personalized signed copy of my book, Improv is No Joke, using improvisation to create positive results in leadership and life, for $14.99 and the shipping's free, please go to my website and you'll see the graphic on my homepage. Please allow up to 14 days for shipping. Remember, you can follow me on social media. You can find me on Facebook by searching The Accidental Accountant. On Twitter, my Twitter handle is at pmargaritas. Connect with me on LinkedIn and Instagram by searching my name. Thank you again for listening. And remember to use the principles of improvisation to help tap your intellectual and emotional energy. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.